today is why are we here? And um, obviously that is the ultimate question that many of us are either pondering in our lives, have wondered in our lives, or will wonder in our lives. What is the purpose in my existence? Why did God create me? Why did God place me where he's placed me? Why do I exist? That's the inevitable um, and proverbial question that we have to be able to answer. And so today we'll be looking at um, one of Paul's actually most unique speeches that he gives. Um, in fact, as we look at this speech, we will look, it will look very similar to some of the letters that we inevitably saw Paul write and send to some of the churches as well. So there are several things that I hope are going to strike us from this text, and I think it's going to be really important for us to not just hear what Paul is saying, but also know how it can apply to us personally in figuring out why God has placed us here. Um, we're going to see that Paul recounts his ministry work here, and as he points out, he points to the fact that he had endured many things on account of his service to God. But this time, however, he doesn't just talk about the physical affliction that he's endured because of his service to God, but he's also talking about the spiritual and mental and emotional affliction that he had felt because he had been suffering for the gospel. He had actually been suffering on account of the fact that he had surrendered his life to God. And I think in reading this text, I definitely felt that I could identify and relate to much of what Paul has described here. I can't relate to all of the physical affliction that he's felt, but I've definitely felt all of the mental and emotional and and spiritual, you know, stress of existing, but also feeling like you have devoted your life to the gospel. That comes with a lot of weight. It comes with a lot of weight. And the reality is, is that if you are a Christian and if you have totally devoted your life to God, you are bearing that weight. But if you are not a Christian and you have not devoted your life to God, then you are bearing another weight. And the difference is, is that you don't have the luxury of having the Holy Spirit like we do that will allow us to bear that weight. See, if you're not a Christian, the weight that you're bearing is a weight of purpose and hope and why do I exist? And that is a struggle for many people. And so I think we're going to do what we're going to do today is look at what Paul says that he felt and look at our lives and compare where we are with where he was and how the only thing that kept him going was the fact that God had given him a purpose. And we're going to see that he's going to speak about the value of his life in comparison to the worth of the gospel. And so looking at this really made me think that if we aren't living the way that Paul was living, if we're not inviting this mentality that Paul had, that I'm totally dedicating my life, I'm totally surrendering my life to the gospel, to the work of Christ, then my question is for you, then why are you here anyway? And I don't mean just physically at the church, but if your life is not absolutely and totally surrendered to the gospel of Jesus Christ, what is the purpose of your existence? What's the purpose? And so what I hope that we will be able to do is answer the question for ourselves if we have ever been wondering why we exist. 
You know, one of the most common illnesses today, and I definitely think numbers are going up, not just because we're diagnosing it more, but because people are more and more helpless and hopeless than ever before. Depression is a sense of hopelessness, and I'm not a person that denies its existence. I do believe that it's real, and I do believe that it exists, but I also think there is a direct link to your sense of hopelessness, that lack and loss of purpose, and it's directly connected to where you feel like you are with God. So we're going to jump to Acts chapter 20 today. We're going to look at verse 17, and we're going to work through this and see if we can discover why we're here. It says, now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Holy Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all of the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God. And to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one silver or gold or peril. You yourselves know that these hands had ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful, most of all, because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the word that you are giving us today, God, and we are thanking you in advance that you are answering the proverbial question of our lives, which is, why do we exist? Why are we here, God? This is um, a question that many of us wrestle with, 
have wrestled with and are going to wrestle with. And God, ultimately, our prayer is that you will, through this sermon, through the words that we will read today, that you will answer that question so that we don't leave here purposeless. We don't leave here without a sense of value, but that we know that we exist to glorify you. It's in Jesus name we pray. Amen. All right. So. As we're looking here, we see that Paul gives his speech. And this is almost if you read this, this speech is like Paul is actually giving his eulogy of himself while he is actually still alive. As he gives his speech, he actually describes all of the things that he had endured on the part of serving God. And he says that even in the midst of persecution from the Jews, that he did not shrink in proclaiming the truth of the gospel. Not only that, but he says that he had actually served them with all humility. I think that is interesting to mention that Paul is actually saying that the value of his life is significantly less than that of the gospel. What we learn here from Paul is that he actually only had one purpose in why he was living. And the only reason that he was living was to live his life to the full extent of God's good pleasure in the gospel. His reason for living his life was not for his own comfort. It was not for his own good. It was not for his own pleasure. The only reason he was alive was to live according to the goodness and to the pleasure and to the will and design and desire of God. That's it. In truth. I think what Paul is actually communicating for us here is that he had actually taken his hands off of his life. He had taken his hands off of his life. And I think that Paul probably here more than anybody else has the greater expertise of what it means to take your hands off of your life. See, you have to understand in the life of Paul, he says, I know what my life looked like when I was trying to control what was going on in my life. He says, while I was very successful while I was well known, while I was um, known by many for my great intellect, for my devotion and dedication to my religion. In fact, when I had my hands on my life is actually when I was the most out of control. See, he would argue that when he was living according to his will, while he was prospering on the earth, he was depleted spiritually. One of the things that we have to learn is that how we define the value of our lives is not through the meager expectations of this world, but it has to be defined by the moral standing and standard that we have before God. That's it. Why is it that he's leaving this specific message with the elders in Ephesus as he's getting ready to go back to Jerusalem? Why is it that he chooses this message specifically? Because as he leaves, knowing that he's never going to see the people in Asia again, Paul knows that it is imperative that they view their lives and that they view their ministry the same way that he did. My question for you is this. Why are you here? Why do you exist? 
And primarily, when you ask people this question, the only way they can answer it is they start telling you what they do. They start telling you what they're good at doing. They start telling you how good they are at certain things and how well known they are for doing certain things. And they'll tell you what degree they have or where they went to school. That's not the reason why you're here. Listen, your spouse, your parents, your children, your grandparents, your house, your job, where you went to school, what you do for a living. None of those things are the purpose in any of our existence. And see, the deception of Satan is that he convinces us that that is the most important thing that we should be doing. But it's not. This is the million dollar question. Everybody wants the answer to this question. Why do I exist? What is the meaning of life? And most of us are looking for the meaning, not just in the broad sense. What's the meaning of all life in general? You can go down a rabbit hole in that one. But most of us are wondering, no, what's the meaning of all of life? What's the meaning of my life? What's the purpose in my existence? There are things that we can see clearly here from the speech and life of Paul that will help us find purpose in the lives that we live. And so our first point in today's sermon is that Paul knew the true value of life. Paul knew the true value of life. He says, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. Now, this is the type of theology that actually runs roughshod against much of what we hear in the world and much of what we've been told regarding the world, regarding the gospel. We've even been told this contrary truth by people in the church that we are to value our lives more than anything, that we are to hold ourselves up more than anything and that our life has incredible value. But the breaking news is that if your life is not found in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, I hate to tell you this. Well, maybe I don't. I enjoy telling you this. But your life has no value. <laughs> if you are not found in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, your life actually does not have value. And it's reflected to us in our world all the time. We can see how the world values life because the world values death. Say, no, the world doesn't value death. Of course the world does. Because the world tells you if you want to value your life, then you should value your life regardless of how it affects the lives around you. And I can talk in very specific terms about how the world addresses that. But ultimately, the world says that the value your life has only comes because you devalue the life of others. But Paul says, no, I actually don't account my life as having any value. It doesn't have the value that you think it has. And so the reason we can see that in his life is that every opportunity he had to choose comfort, every opportunity he had to choose his own happiness, Paul deflected and deferred to the gospel. We've been reading at the school um, a book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Life Together. And if you don't know about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a Christian during the time of Nazi Germany. 
and he was serving during that time. And what inevitably happened to him is that Dietrich Bonhoeffer was actually offered a position in America to serve as a chief professor where he could have lived a wonderful, comfortable life. He could have just been a professor. He could have rested on his laurels. He could have done that for the rest of his life and died an old man. But at the age of 45, because of his dedication to the gospel, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, proclaiming that Christianity was the right way and that Nazi Germany was in contrast to the gospel, he was hanged for the faith. This was less than a week after, before Germany would get their freedom. He was hanged. Because he believed that the gospel was true and that his life only had meaning, only had value because of the gospel. Now, I guarantee you there were probably people in Dietrich's life, just like there were probably people in Paul's life, just like there were probably people in every great person who's ever lived for the faith who said, you're doing too much. You're doing too much. You're, you're just trying to live for you. You're just trying to dedicate. You're just trying to make a way. This is just the way that you want things. But nobody who actually knows what the gospel requires of us would ever accuse a Christian of being selfish. Nobody. Because if you know what the gospel truly requires of us, not one of us is willing to actually pay that price in our own strength. But what happens is when we look at the cross of Christ and see what the price is of our lives and for our lives, then the cost of our lives is nothing. And he realizes this. Paul realizes that the only reason that his life has value is because Jesus Christ, in the moment that he died on the cross, gave his life value. That's the key here. He had relinquished the reins of his life. He had let go of the reins of his life. And I think that's the biggest problem with most of us who want to be Christians, is that I want to be a Christian, but I don't want to let go of the reins. I want to go to heaven. Let me just say like that. I think that's the reality. I want to go to heaven, but I don't want to let go of the reins of my life. I don't know what that, what that is. That's the key. Many of us have just not let go of the reins. It isn't I come to him and retain all the attributes of who I am. No. It's that I am surrendered and I have surrendered to his righteousness. Speaking of World War II, in World War II, there were these people in Japan called kamikaze pilots. And you've probably heard about them. One of their strategies in the World War was that they would get on a plane and they would nosedive into their enemy, the target. And that means every time they climbed onto a plane, they knew that they were on a suicide mission. They knew that when they climbed into that plane, that they were going to nosedive into a target and they were going to die for what they believed. How is it that someone can be so dedicated to a goal, to a mission, 
that they're willing to die for said mission. Well, in the case of the people in Japan, they believed that the cause was greater than the value of their lives. How can someone be so driven to something that they'd be willing to die for? Because for them, the cause was greater than the value of their lives. Now, were these people mistaken? Absolutely. But for us, those of us who are Christians, our cause is much greater than the value of our lives. When God created us, he created us for his glory solely to serve him. Now, when people hear this, it puzzles them. Why would God create me just so I can glorify him? And as one of my students asked me a re recently, they said, doesn't that make God a narcissist? And I was like, well, if God were any other old human, yes, that would make him a narcissist, that he requires my worship. But God is different, isn't it? See, to understand our relationship with God, we have to understand where we begin. And when we get here, we begin at odds with God. We do not begin in right relationship with him. We are born into a state of sin and rebellion against God. We are born broken and apart from him. But he invites us into right relationship with him. How does he do that? God does that by giving us himself. God ultimately gave us the fullness of who he is by giving us Jesus. Jesus paid the ultimate price. And this also means that when I get him, he must get all of me. That's why Paul says that we present our bodies, but we don't just present them any kind of way. We present our bodies as a living sacrifice. How do we do it? He says that you present it holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual, rational, reasonable service unto God. In other words, Jesus took his life of worth and value and it was counted to him as sin. And he took our lives of nothingness and sin and it was counted and given value. This is why I can be and do whatever is required of me, because without him, I have no value, but with him, I am infinitely valuable. So how does Paul find meaning in his life? He knew what gave his life value. That brings us to our second point. First point is he knew what gave his life value. He knew the true value of his life. But then the second point is that he knew his calling. Paul knew his calling. Look at what he says. He says, and behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the gospel will see my face again. Therefore, I testify you to this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Not only does Paul know his calling, but he says here that he was faithful in fulfilling the calling that God had called him to. He says that by letting us know that he did not shrink back. 
What does that mean? He says that he was not timid in fulfilling the call that had been assigned to him in the Lord. The meaning and purpose that we find and get out of life is directly connected to us knowing why we have been placed here to begin with. Paul, like many of us at one point, was sure of what his calling was. When Paul was ravaging the church, when he describes how he was dragging women, child, men from place to place, house to house, and persecuting them as he approved as the leader of the stoning of Stephen. At one point, he was sure, I know why I have been placed here by God. In fact, you can almost argue that Paul was operating more in his gift when he was in sin than when he was in Christ. But when he came to Christ, He found what his true calling was, and that was to share the word of God in the way that God had actually called him and gifted him. Why is it significant that he did not withdraw, that he didn't shrink back? Because even in the midst of obstacles, even in the midst of challenges, even in the midst of persecution, reviling, he did not allow it to stop him from doing the work that he was called to do. I think this is where most of us struggle as Christians. We don't have the sense of perseverance that we not only see in the Christians of old, but that we also see here in Paul. In fulfilling his call, he admonishes the elders to take charge of the flock and make sure that they point them back to the word of Christ. But then he qualifies why they should do this. He says, because you're elders. They had a role and a calling that they had to fulfill. And it's significant that they know their calling. Why? Because if the elders in the church don't know why they're called to be elders in the church, then the fabric of the church will crumble. He says, if you don't know the reason you've been called, then there are going to be wolves in the world who are going to come in and undermine what the gospel is. And then he says, but there are also going to be people in the church who are going to come undermine what the gospel is. If the elders don't know their calling, then the structure of the church breaks down. Similarly, in our own world, if believers don't know our place in the world, then it leads to the breakdown of the world. How so? Because no matter how you feel that you have been gifted and where you think you've been called, you are called as a Christian to never shrink back. You are never called to be timid. You are never called to be passive. In an oppressive and offensive world, real believers don't cower. That is part of the calling. We will only have fulfillment in this life if we make sure that we stand out against that which defies and defiles God. Recently, somebody messaged me on Facebook and asked me, do we as Christians in America have a lesser Christianity if we don't have to endure the same persecution they endure in other countries? And I told her, I said, no, I wouldn't say that we have a lesser Christianity. But I did say I would argue that the reason why we don't get persecuted in America as Christians is because we don't stand up for anything. 
We don't stand out against anything. I was like, you might not be getting persecuted, but I know what people say about me. I know. They say that's that crazy guy. I know what they say. I'm not stupid because nobody's used to seeing people dedicate themselves more to the word of God than anything. And they'll make people think you're crazy. And I think that's a problem in our world. Too many of us have shrunken back. We're too timid. The standards and the foundation for which the church had been built on, much of which we used to stand on, we have collapsed under the pressure of the world. Because we don't want to get called names. We want to be popular. We want to see the church filled up. But what happens if we fill up the church and the seats of heaven are empty? Because we preach a compromised gospel. That's why I told you the other week, the Bible says that all of heaven rejoices if just one, if just one person who didn't know Christ is drawn into Christ. Very often we are not in America putting ourselves in positions to challenge our faith and have our faith challenge the system of this world. If Christians shrink back, you will absolutely lose your sense of purpose in the world. The post-COVID church attendance numbers have come in, as we can see. And what people have found is that the traditional way that we have trained people to think, to live, to operate, is all centered on self. So what makes me happy? I was having a conversation in our book group at the school and I mentioned to them, I was like, you know, we have led to the decline of the church even when we didn't realize it. Because one of the things that when everybody else was doing small groups and say, oh, you got to have a small group, you got to be in a small group. Let me tell you what a small group does traditionally. And a church, which should be very diverse, what a small group does, if you categorize it based on interest, says, I know that there are other diverse people in the church, but I want to find the 20 other people from the same economic background that I'm from, who do the same thing I do, who have the same amount of kids that I have, who are married just like me, who are single just like me, and I want to get together with all of the like-minded people. So you take a church that is glorifying God because of its diversity, and then you fracture it and say, but if I'm a hand in the body of Christ, let me go find all of the hands even the way that we do church is self-centered we have not encouraged people the way that they find more fulfillment is that they give themselves away to God that's why I love that song give myself away and I actually think that song should be the anthem of the people of God because that is effectively what we have all been called to do We've been called to give ourselves away. And if you're not giving yourself away, if you don't feel stretched by the gospel, if your relationship with God is not causing contention among other people, that's why Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace. He said, you're mistaken if you think I came to bring peace. He said, I came to bring a sword and I came to divide families from each other. Because if you are not dedicating your life to the gospel, it will cause division in your life. 
And if it's not causing division in your life, either everybody you know is a Christian or you quiet about some stuff. Finally, point number three, Paul was leaving behind a gospel legacy. Paul was leaving behind a gospel legacy. Knowing that the pattern of his life would likely lead to a premature death, Paul reminded them that by the grace of God, he was able to live unburdening the people in the places where he was because of his dedication to the gospel. People were left all around the area and surrounding cities having been saved because Paul was considering his life as nothing compared to the value of the life of Christ. His dedication. This is why even Peter in his own epistle, before he closed it out, he says, but also remember the letters of our beloved brother, Paul. And he says in his letters, he's given us wisdom and he encourages the people. He says, I know that they are hard to read, but they're only hard to read because people come in and twist the scriptures, as Paul said they would do. He said, but remember the wisdom that we got from our beloved brother, Paul. Even when Paul was gone, his head separated from his body, the legacy of what he did lived on. I remember when my grandmother passed, I had the job of preaching her eulogy. That was a sermon I preached in front of about 700 people entitled To Those Who Remain." And it was following Paul's letters to the Philippians. And this is right before his death. And he wrote to them. He says that they should keep their conduct much more in his absence than they did even in his presence. And I mentioned that the only value of our life we will have after we've passed will be that only what you do for Christ will last. That's it. Listen, I know, you know, many of us are trying to create a legacy for ourselves. We're trying to live beyond our years. But I'm telling you now, even for the best of us, even for many of us who will live our lives as devoted Christians to the day we die. Bible says it's appointed once to man to die and then the judgment. But let's talk about what happens in between that. It's appointed man wants to die. But as we understand when speaking about David, says when David says that the Holy One wouldn't see corruption, that couldn't have been about David. Even David. He said, for David died, decomposed, and became bones. For most of us, that will be it. When we die, we'll be buried, we'll decompose, we'll turn to bones, and after about two generations, who will remember our names? Who? The value of your life cannot be in what you do here now. Can't be. Because you'll be miserable pursuing an empty dream until the day you die 
And the reality is that most of us will never see that dream fulfilled. Your life's purpose will not be fulfilled in pursuing any of these empty pleasures, building kingdoms and a name for yourself here. But your life's purpose will be in who came to know Christ because you shared the gospel. I don't know if y'all have ever seen the movie Pay It Forward. It's an old movie. It's one of those movies that came out when I was a kid. It was a Haley Joe Osmond, I believe, so we're about the same age. And I remember that movie. The whole purpose of that movie is that for a good deed, if somebody does a good deed for you, all you do is you commit to paying it forward. So if somebody does a good deed for you, you do three good deeds for three individual people. And in that movie, he ends up getting killed. And this little kid whose life seems to be nothing, whose life value seems to not be that much, what ends up happening is that when he gets killed, his mother is at home and she comes out to the front porch. And there are about 300 people standing there holding candles. And those 300 people are all represented in the one good deed that he committed to doing. The one good deed that he did became 300 good deeds for people he never met. And I can't help but think that that is also the value of our lives as Christians. That the harvest that will be reaped because we shared the gospel, because we dedicated our lives, may not be seen in our lifetime. I may not even see it in the lifetime of my children. But I may be sowing a legacy. Every time we do a devotion, every time we commit to being Christians in our house, I may be sowing a legacy that I may never see on this earth, but I will see in eternity. And the last thing I want to do is give them values and pleasures and dedications and desires that when they die or when I die, we'll never see it again. What I want to do is give them values and hope in something that in eternity we will gather together and fellowship over. Where there will be no end of time, there will be no death, there will be no sorrow, no tears. In the same way, with all the interactions we have with one another, that's the only value that your life will have, that you are sowing the gospel into people. That's it. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, there's going to be a joyful day in eternity when you realize that somebody you fussed at for 10 years, you're going to die before them, thinking they never got it, and they're going to pop up in heaven one day. And you're going to be like, my Lord, how did you get here? And in the end, it's going to be, yeah, because of Jesus, but because of your relentless efforts to share the gospel. That's the true value. That's the true meaning of life. That's why we're here. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the word, God, how you have earnestly given us the source of all truth and life and meaning and value and 
God, it is only in that we are sharing the gospel, that we are committing ourselves to you, God. Yes, we look foolish to the world, maybe even some of our Christian friends, maybe even to our families, God. Yes, we look stupid. We look crazy. We could pay, pick the easier route. We could take the road most traveled. But God, no, we have de dedicated ourselves to you. We're not taking the route that everybody else is taking. We know where that road goes. And you said that the way that is filled with the majority of the people leads to destruction. Narrow is the way. And there are few who find it. God, keep us on that narrow path. God, that is the only meaning, that is the only value that we'll find in this life is that we dedicate our lives to you and you alone. God, it doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter what the world is doing. It doesn't matter what other people who say they're Christians are doing. We will not shrink. We will not bend. We will not break. We will not fold. We will not compromise. We will stand up for you. God, no, we are not going to live comfortable lives here. And that's fine. Because you've promised us eternal comfort and God I will take a comfort that will last an eternity over one that will last 80 years any day God if there are people in this room who are struggling with that sense of value and purpose this is it this is it there are people watching who are struggling with that sense of value and meaning and purpose this is it only what we do for Christ will last. None of our schemes, none of our agendas, none of our giftedness, none of our accolades, none of our notoriety, none of our popularity, none of our finances, none of that stuff will matter in the end. And God, help us know that the end comes quicker than we can imagine. Let us dedicate ourselves and devote ourselves to you. There's anybody who heard this sermon and doesn't know who you are in the fullness of salvation, God. Let this be the day they learn of you, that you sovereignly reveal yourself and save. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.